Take a guess. How many languages are there in the world? 600? 1,000? Maybe 3,000? There's far more than that. In fact, we have over 6,000 languages in the world today. The world is abuzz with all sorts of tongues and dialects, but half of them are rapidly heading towards extinction. At this point, you may be wondering why this is so devastating. Allow me to explain. Language is more than what popular opinion suggests, aka just a means of communication. Actually, language is a lot more than that. Did you know that culture and language are very closely tied together? Did you know that learning a language allows you to understand another person, another culture, another world? Did you know that languages are crucial keys to really realizing how incredibly diverse and deep the world around us is? It is indeed true. Not only do languages allow communication, it also gives insight to historical and cultural knowledge, lets one have a deeper relationship with a friend of a different cultural background, and also has ties to self-identity. As you can see, language is actually really valuable. So how can we stop languages from dying? Hi, my name is Patricia Young. I'm an American Indonesian with a love for language. Welcome to my podcast. Let's head right on. So, how can we stop languages from dying? This is a really difficult question to answer. But organizations have made strides to help preserve the endangered or little-spoken languages around the world. Living Tongues is an organization that has created a web tool dubbed Living Dictionaries. This tool features underrepresented and endangered tongues, thus exposing them to the world and effectively preserving them. Living Tongues also trains indigenous speakers to help record their native languages. And Our Golden Hour, another language organization, focuses on educating the youth about endangered languages, such as the schoolchildren of southeastern Bangladesh. By publishing children's books in the native language and featuring the nation's folklore in it, children get to learn both the native language and the native history. Organizations such as these have made progress in preserving and protecting endangered tongues, but even with such strides, preserving language really boils down to two things, your own personal motivation and the value you attach to it. For me, the first challenge is lack of motivation. This is Professor Yuda Sianto, a native Indonesian and professor of theology at Trinity Christian College. Having studied linguistics, here are his thoughts on motivation. Motivation comes from a drive that will lead you into something that you think as valuable. Let me give you an example. Uh, you are motivated to study math, mathematics, right? Why? Because you have a drive from the inside that knowing mathematics will help you think critically. Right? Even if you are not becoming a mathematician, right? Uh, you want to study math because you know that math helps you to think critically and so you have a, an in, inside drive that's motivation right or you want to get a good grade uh, you want to um, uh, get a good SAT score or ACT score right so you study math so you put a value in front of you 
Can you see that? You put a value in front of you and then you have the drive from the inside to get to that value, whatever that value is. That's motivation. You want something because you know that some uh, the, the that thing is valuable. So if if uh, there's a lack of motivation in speaking the, the 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 first language or the the mother tongue, because well, of course, because your mind um, is so molded and so uh, formed by the current language or the the main language today, like in your case, for instance, is English, then. Uh, sometimes there's a lack of motivation. Uh, um, you are not uh, uh, driven to uh, to use that language because you think like, oh well, that's not so useful. Especially if you are in a situation where you do not have other people, other families who speak the same language, then you are not driven. You are not motivated to use that language, right? So you are more. Uh, uh, you are more um, uh, into the uh, the main language, or sometimes you know the lack of motivation also uh, because you don't have to write papers in Indonesian, you don't have to uh, uh, present uh, in class in Indonesian, right? So then uh, there is less usage. Then you see that oh this is not so this is not so useful for me. Then people uh, don't use that anymore. And sometimes people feel that it's cumbersome. It's cumbersome for people to to uh, to use two languages, for instance. So they uh, uh, they they choose just uh, the one language, the one main language, and so they abandon the first language. So keeping a language, whether it is an endangered one or not, all really comes down to whether or not you want to keep it. The struggle is not out there, but within. Given that. What about education? What about teaching the young children about the value of languages? Dr. Ferry Young, also an Indonesian, has a PhD in education and has worked in that field for 27 years. This is what he says about language education in schools. It's kind of um, not that easy because it depends on the policy of the school. The, the main thing is how school um, sees it as something as something that they would pursue if the school does not have that belief or is not convinced that it is something that is worth doing they're not going to pursue it that's a problem um, school is expensive if you want to uh, like cultivate a certain language say Spanish or Mandarin then you will have to hire a teacher to do that okay um, otherwise, um, it's not going to happen because the culture of the uh, of the school, the dominant culture or the dominant language, is going to prevail. You know, in 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 whatever ways. Curious, I decided to delve a little further. What about in a setting with immigrant school children having teachers collaborate with parents to help their kids? Yeah, there are some limits that schools can do. Um, if it is an immigrant school setting, usually they have the tendency to maintain the, the mother tongue, the language of the ancestors. Um, like for example, you know, if you have a school that is based, you know, uh, in, a, in a, an area where there are so many immigrants, 
and say the Hispanic. They come from you know Spanish-speaking countries, and now they settle in the U.S. and they live in the same environment, okay, the same neighborhood, and in that same neighborhood there is a school. So the school might have a reason to provide um, whatever it is, you know, whatever it takes to maintain that language. Okay, say like providing a, a teacher or even the cultural um, or the, the, the use of the language itself in school would be okay. And people will not uh, feel like it is something that, uh, that is inappropriate or something like that. Okay, so, <clears throat> but you have to find the reason. Schools are limited. Um, if they can find the reason for that and they can argue um, for uh, that specific program or that specific uh, policy, then it's okay. But otherwise, again, you know, schools, they are not free. Even the, the principal's head of school, they are not free. They are bound by policies. They are bound by curriculum. And, of course, you've got to budget it. If you don't have the budget, you will not do it. Okay. Um, it is especially difficult when you go into a school with a dominant language prevailing and you want a minority language being uh, cultivated over there, or at least as a secondary language. It's kind of difficult because there is a class, right? Like you said, um, culture is being carried through that language. So in a way, when you teach that language, you teach the culture. The question is, do they want it? Imagine you are in a school uh, that use, uh, uses English as the uh, operational language. Okay? And you are in a country that uses English as a national language. But then when you enter that school, um, say 60%, 70% of them, they speak a different language. What do you feel? Out of place. Exactly. So either ways, you can feel out of place. Those with the minority language, when they enter a school with the dominant language, they also feel out of place. Okay, so collaboration—you can you can certainly think about a way to do that, but you need to find the reason. School leaders—they need to find that reason in order for them to execute whatever decisions they make, or to make the decision first and then execute the decisions. Dr. Young also says, government ruling in favor of language education does help greatly. The government issuing a, um, an order like that will be very helpful. Um, Singapore is a very good example of using three different languages, three different operational languages in the country. So they are known to, um, uh, to the outer world to speak English. All of them speak English. But they speak Mandarin too. And they speak, um, is it Malay? I think Malay. Because they were part of Malay, Malaysia before, so they they speak the, these three languages. Okay, um, <clears throat> they all uh, they're all taught using English, but at some point they have to choose whether to continue with Mandarin or with Malay. They can choose both, but they can go deeper into the language with either with Mandarin or with Malay. So a lot of the Singaporean, probably you know, ninety percent, they can speak two, three different languages, because the government made that policy. It is very helpful. Um, schools can do 
things like in Indonesia, um, once the uh, the is it, it's the fourth president, Gusdur, uh, when he opened um, the Chinese culture into Indonesian um, society, um, a lot of schools they they cultivated Chinese Chinese language, although the operational language is Indonesian, mm-hmm. but they offered right away. You know um, that uh, Mandarin to be taught in school. Why? It's because of you know the desire to maintain the culture, the desire to maintain uh, the language. Um, <clears throat> uh, my dad once said that you know through the language you could read books, you could read you know literatures that speak into the culture, that tell you about what's going on in the past, the history. And even give you the nuances of the culture, and so on. But if you don't have that language, if you don't master the language, you will not be able to really understand. You could probably read from a book that is translated to your language, but you lose the nuance. And I understood that one. You know, when I was to, you know, when I went to Beijing, and I went there, you know, there are ways. Of you know of communicating the language and carrying the connotations with it that is so different, you know, than you knowing only the translation of it. So the government's order does help, but again, just as Dr. Yang reminds, if no one finds language valuable, it's very unlikely that language preservation will be encouraged. So what is to be done? What can we do? This is a peculiar issue in which the solution very much lies in the self. This is a peculiar issue in which forming organizations is not the best way to resolve it, because even if you do so, what impact does it make if the one you're trying to help doesn't really want the help? I am an American Indonesian. This is a problem that concerns me greatly. I've asked Professor Thianto and Dr. Yang for solutions. Here's what they say. Number one, uh, uh, I would encourage the parents. To still use their original language at home. See, because in the case that uh, uh, children who emigrated from a different country, right, when they go to school, when they interact with their friends, when they uh, interact with the community outside of their homes, they will use the main language anyways. Right? Uh, for you, for instance, uh, at school, you keep using English all the time. Yeah. So then, your ability to speak English is not an issue at all. You will always be able to speak English fluently. Now, the issue here is your ability to speak Indonesian. How fluent are you, right? So now, if your parents do not uh, actively speak Indonesian with you at home, over time you will lose your uh, your ability to speak Indonesian. So you, uh, here, my encouragement is for parents, for parents who emigrate uh, from a different country uh, to a new country, at home, I will strongly, strongly encourage parents to continue using their original language, or um, in linguistics we call it the mother tongue, the original language, so that you know while at home you and your parents and your sister you can still speak Indonesian, uh, so that uh, you can keep your Indonesian uh, language fluent all the time. 
Whereas mm-hmm. at uh, uh, when when you are at school or when you you are at church uh, or in any other settings outside of home, you can use English and uh, you will be fluent no matter what in your use of English, right? So that the first uh, suggestion is for parents to continue using the uh, the mother tongue, but also if it is possible, find the communities. that speak the same language so you know let's say if there there is a, a community of the indonesian people in iowa i'm just using you as an example all the time because this is so relevant for you right so if there's a community of the indonesian speaking uh, uh people in in iowa in where you live uh uh be immersed um uh, uh be active participate in those communities and within those communities or those societies keep using the mother tongue the original language then uh you will be um, uh, uh, accustomed to to speaking the language all the time because we know that language when it is not used is going to die uh, we will lose the 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 ability to do that so That's my second suggestion. Join, uh, join uh, whatever society or um, uh, groups or meetings in that language. Dr. Yang agrees with Professor Tianto's statement here. You can do it in a formal way. So, um, like education, we have formal, informal, and non-formal. Um, the informal way is you still gather in your in your environment, in your neighborhood, uh, being with the same uh, group of people. that speak the language, then you can maintain that. Like I see a lot of the Hispanic, they, you know, they gather within their groups and they maintain their language. The Koreans, they do the same thing. They maintain the language. Although there are some, you know, um, difficulties as well with their, um, with the first generation, second generation for them to blend in with the American culture. But if they continue to live, you know, in the same neighborhood, they can maintain it. Um, I've been in San Francisco, Chinatown. They maintain the language even to the second, third generation. They still speak Mandarin. You know, if you have that Chinatown area, Chicago, you know, and then um, San Francisco is one of the biggest, New York, you go to the Chinatown, they still speak the uh, Mandarin language even to the third, fourth generation. Then Professor Tianto suggests taking advantage of technology to keep up the native language. Another possibility, it's rather passive, but watch news from um, from uh, uh, the country that uses that language. So for instance, uh, again, for, for the Indonesian people, because the internet is so easy now, right? Uh, watch the news from Indonesia or watch movies uh, in Bahasa Indonesia so that uh, you can uh, always use the, the language and your mind, your brain keeps using it. So these are my suggestions for people to to still keep their language so that they do not lose the language. Today, you can use technology to have that community, right? Uh, you can have uh, social media, so you can still have friends, or maybe not just friends, but relatives. Probably you have cousins in Indonesia, right? Uh, still maintain a, a social media with your cousins, but use Indonesian. So in terms of using technology, you can use social media, you can watch television or, or movies. 
uh, so that you can keep your first language alive. Encouraging parents to speak the mother tongue to their children. Find a community that speaks the same language. Using technology and social media to find an online community and read or watch things in your native language. As long as you have the motivation to preserve your language, by doing these things, you can make good progress to maintain your own language, as well as passing it on to the next generation. But wait, what about the others? What about people who don't have a second language but still want to help? Worry not, there are some things that you of that group can do as well. Spread the word. Spreading awareness to help people find the value of language is a crucial step. Remember what Professor Sianzo and Dr. Young have said, if you don't find value, you won't continue in it. Additionally, be kind, especially in a school setting. Immigrant children very often have a difficult time adjusting to their life away from their native roots. Overwhelmed by the clash of culture and language, these children struggle in grounding their identity. Being bullied or distanced does not help matters at all. So help them. Be warm and friendly, and help them accommodate to their new life by being warm and welcoming. As Professor Sianto tells us. We are, we are talking about other people, right? Uh, some people who feel um, less confident because they, their English is still not very fluent, right? That's where you step in. That's where you befriend them. That's where you help them. Show them God's love. Show them God's kindness by befriending them, by helping them. That's what you do. Lastly, and this is more of a suggestion, consider picking up another language. Try Spanish or Chinese or something else, Korean perhaps. In doing so, you can develop a broader understanding of other cultures and potentially create deeper relationships with friends of different cultural backgrounds. Mostly though, spread awareness. Because this issue predominantly lies in the speaker themselves, and whether or not they really want to maintain their native tongue, outsiders to this issue cannot directly help in ways other than just spreading awareness. So the best way for you to help is to share to others the value of language in terms of cultural roots, family, and self-identity. Spread the word. Thank you all for listening to my podcast. I sincerely hope this has opened your mind and hearts to the value of languages. Thank you also to Professor Yura Cianto and Dr. Ferry Young for the wonderful, informative interviews. Keep spreading the word. <laughs>